Thank you, worship team. Y'all can take a seat. As you do that, would you just put your hands together one more time for those who were baptized this morning? Always such an incredible celebration, and I love just that song, too, saying, hey, Lord, it's your breath. It's, it's you who's doing the work in our lives. We get to, to be witness to it. We get to celebrate it. We get to give him praise for it. Well, as we transition now into this morning's message, I want to actually start off by uh, doing a quick little activity. I'm not going to ask you to do very much. Don't worry. I'm going to ask you to do something you probably do about 150 times a day. Go ahead and take your phone out of your pocket or out of your purse. Go ahead and pull it out. Once you have your phone out, do me a favor and just open up your map app or whatever you use for your driving directions. Once you've got that up, all I want you to do is find your location. Hit that little, like, I think it's like a little arrow button. Find where you are. Everybody got it? Android users are a little bit, you know, a little slower. It's okay. We'll, we'll wait for you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's, 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 there's unity amongst us, iPhone and Android users. Everybody got their location? We good? Now, let me ask you, how difficult was it for you to find your, your location? Probably not hard, right? Like most of you already know where you're at, but even if you didn't, there's an app to tell you where you're at, right? But what about if I were to ask you where you're at mentally this morning? What about if I were to ask about your emotional state? Or how about this one? What if I were to ask you where you're at spiritually this morning? Not so simple now, is it? See, there's no app to tell us those kinds of things. So honestly, for a lot of us, the reality is we don't really exactly know where we're at. We might have a general idea, some of us. Some of us, though, for being honest with ourselves, we might find ourselves feeling a little bit lost. But the good news this morning is that no matter where you find yourself today, physically, mentally, emotionally, certainly spiritually, is that God knows exactly where you are at. And not only that, but he is coming after you. He is pursuing you, family, in order to bring you back into his presence. This morning, the focus of our message is going to be on God's pursuit. What I've been praying is that together we'll come to see no, no matter the, the distance that stands between us, no matter the, the depths of the sin or the shame that we might be walking through, that we would be awakened to the reality that Jesus is coming after us, that he is pursuing us. He longs to give us his grace. Family, he just keeps coming. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, I pray you would be encouraged by this morning, uh, this message of God's pursuit. Before we dive into God's word, let us join together in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, thank you for the celebration that occurred here, and we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, it's the word that, that spoke this world into creation, and it's the word that continues to speak truth and life into the hearts of your children. So would you use it now? Lord, would you use it to encourage us, to equip us, to convict us, and to compel us to walk in the newness of this identity that we have in Christ Jesus? It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get into God's word this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, it'd be a good time to take them out. If you came empty-handed this morning, no worries. We'll have it up on the screen behind me. But before we dive in, I want to give you just a quick recap of where we've been so far. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see a story of God creating the world, right? He creates Adam and Eve, and we see it more closely in chapter 2. And then at the end of chapter 2, we get this brief description of where Adam and Eve are at. Kind of describes where they're at physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
God tells us they are naked and not ashamed. This is really the only description we get. They are naked and not ashamed. They are living exactly the way that God intended them to in this garden in perfect harmony with each other and with God. And then Genesis 3 happens. Right? The, the serpent comes with his, his craftiness and he tempts Adam and Eve into believing that they deserved more than, than what they were designed for. He tempts them into believing that they deserve more than what they were designed for. And so they give in to this temptation and they choose the thing that God created, this fruit, over the God who created it. And we all know what happens next. Right? The harmony of that relationship, it is broken, it is severed. And they experience the very first consequence of sin. This self-imposed consequence, this feeling we all know as shame. We see it in verses 7 and 8. Their response to this sin, it says, The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So in response to their shame, what do they do? They isolate from one another. They conceal the, the shameful parts of themselves. Right? They, they hide from God and they intentionally seek out separation from him. If you were here last week, we talked about all of these shame-filled responses and, and the consequence and the, the, the impact that they have in our lives, both our horizontal and our vertical relationships. But this morning, finally, week number three, we get to focus on God's response to our shame. So look with me, if you would, at verses 9 through 11. We see how the Lord responds. He calls to the man and says to him, where are you? Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, we're going to stop right there because in the very next verse, Adam and Eve start playing this blame game. We're going to save that for next week. What I want to focus specifically on this morning is God's response to Adam and Eve. And what I want you to see are four specific truths that pertain not just to God's pursuit of them, but actually to God's pursuit of each of us as well. So the first truth I want you to consider this morning is that God dwells intentionally. If you're taking notes this morning, go ahead and jot those three words down. God dwells intentionally. Now I get that this one isn't explicitly stated here, but it's really implied throughout the entire creation story, right? That it's God's design and it's his desire for him to dwell among us in his creation. This is exactly how he designed both it and us to live. Right? We talked about this last week. There was this simple and beautiful, harmonious relationship. Beautiful until the moment that we read about right here. This moment where shame, sin and shame come in. And I know this is going to feel basic to some of you, but I actually want you to stick with me here because, family, this isn't just where things started. This is also where we are headed. This harmonious relationship isn't just where this all started. It's also where we are headed. As, as children of God, our final destination is to find ourselves back in this unhindered, uninterrupted relationship with God. And so what we see throughout the entire rest of Scripture is our journey back to that, back to that true dwelling place with the Lord. So follow with me on this train of thought. I want you to see this from a high level, the, the sort of meta-narrative of Scripture, and then we'll be able to focus in on ourselves so I've got a little graphic here for you. If you would go to the next one with those little circles, there you go. That's perfect. So what we see, right, in the very beginning, right, God is dwelling amongst Adam and Eve in creation. This is the way he designed it to be. 
But as a consequence of the fall, Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. And so the next time we see God's presence manifest in a similar way is actually in Exodus chapter 19. This is where God comes and meets Moses on Mount Sinai. And it's there actually where he instructs Moses to build a tabernacle. This word tabernacle is the Hebrew word mishnak, and it means a dwelling place. This is where God's presence would dwell among his people in a tabernacle that was actually modeled after, you guessed it, the Garden of Eden. And so this tabernacle, then it would travel with the people of God for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. Eventually, they they came to the promised land, and God wanted a bit more of a permanent place. And so he orders them, commands them to build a temple that could be that dwelling place. But God doesn't stop there, right? In the New Testament, we read that that God sends Jesus, who takes on flesh, as John 1.14 tells us, so that he might what? Dwell among us. You guys sensing a theme here? God is pursuing. He is getting closer and closer. That's why we call Jesus our Emmanuel, which means God with us. But the plan all along was not that Jesus would come and he would dwell with us in that state forever because he needed to, to come and go to the cross to die for our sins. So when he died and when he, when he rose and when he ascended, he left the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. That's why 1 Peter 2.5 says that it is now us, the church that is being built up into the temple for God's spirit to dwell. And Paul reinforces this truth in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Are you all still with me so far? Okay, good. We're getting, we're getting close to the end, I promise. What I want you to see in all of this is that God has always been in pursuit of his people. Because right? his perfect plan is to bring us back into this place where he could dwell with us forever. This is not just where it started for us. This is where it is all headed as well. And we see Revelations chapter 21, verse 3. God shows John a a vision of the city of God coming down from heaven. And John says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. See, family, when we follow this journey of God's pursuit all the way to the end, we see that what we lost in the beginning is being restored. This is part of the the big picture narrative. This is part of the big story that each of us are a part of. God redeeming his creation, him bringing us back into his presence. Are we all on the same page with the big picture? Okay, let's get a little more personal. Let's talk about his pursuit of you. That leads to my second point this morning, that God pursues patiently. So God dwells intentionally, but he also pursues us patiently. Now, what does it mean to pursue something patiently? I don't know about y'all, but I I, I don't have that bone in my body. Like, I'm either pursuing something or I'm being patient. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? It's like saying you're going on a working vacation. Anybody take one of those? It doesn't work, right? I thought about this. I I grew up in Southern California, and so one of my favorite things to watch on TV was not a a TV show. It was car chases, right? And it was so frustrating because you would watch, and and there would be the cops would, like, keep a safe distance, and it would be, like, an hour, and you're waiting for them to do something, but they're just sitting back patiently pursuing. Now, I'm from Texas. We don't have those here for some reason. It's ridiculous. Let me, give you, let me give you a better example some of you might be able to resonate with. So uh, I'm not sure how many of y'all know how Lindsay and I met, but it was about 13 years ago when we first met, and uh, I was head over heels for this girl. I was hooked immediately. The only problem was 
she was in a relationship. Small hurdle, right? So I patiently pursued her, right? I looked for any opportunity I could to spend time with her, tried to, to, to show her that I was, a, I was a good guy, right? I may have taken one opportunity to share my feelings about her, but, you know, statute of limitations is up, so it's all good. But here's, here's the point with that ridiculous example. Is that a patient pursuit is one that is active and it is intentional, but it is not forceful. A patient pursuit is one that is active and intentional, but it is not forceful. And the reason why I wanted to point this out specifically is because I think for a lot of us that hasn't been our experience in the church. I don't want to point to pastors or to churches or anything like that, but I just want to say for some of us, our experience of God hasn't been a patient pursuit. Because we've been buried under the weight of religion. We've been told that there's a list of things that we must do in order to receive God's grace. Maybe we've been told that through, through words. Maybe we've been told that through actions. It doesn't matter, family. The reality is that God is patiently pursuing each of us. And what we see here in Scripture is actually the opposite of that sort of thing. In fact, what we see here in Scripture are two very specific ways that God's patience and his intentionality shine through. The first way we see this is the simple fact that God makes the first move, right? Even though God was the one that was sinned against, it's he who pursues Adam and Eve. That's grace in a nutshell right there, right? He would have been justified to just sort of like zap them there on the spot and be like, I'm just going to start over, right? Adam and Eve 2.0. would have been totally justified. Or he could have like let them stew in it for a little while. That's what we do in our relationships, right? We're going to let them feel the weight of that, you know, conviction of that sin, could you imagine if you were them in the Garden of Eden, right? Anytime like a bunny would go by through the bushes, you're just like, <laughs> that would be brutal. But God doesn't wipe them out. He doesn't keep them waiting. Scripture actually tells us he, he makes the first move by coming in the cool of the day. I'm not sure how many of you have actually sat with that idea. He doesn't come when it's hot. He doesn't come when it's dark out. He waits patiently for that comfortable moment. It's that moment none of us have seen since April, right, where this cool breeze comes through. I actually sat here reading this scripture this week of like, like trying to just picture it in my mind of what this must be like. It didn't really work, but the point is that like I felt God's grace in that, that he didn't come when it was hot, he didn't come when it was dark, he came in the cool of the day when they would be most comfortable. I think that's why he comes to us in moments like this, right, where we're willing to, to open ourselves up, where we're surrounded by people that we love. Such a simple picture of his grace. And we see the same patient and proactive pursuit when we look at how Christ came for each of us. Hear these words. They're familiar words from Romans chapter 5. But hear his patience and his intentionality. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Yes. Family, what this tells us is that Christ made the first move because he had to. Right? Left on our own, there was no way for us to find our way back to him. It'd be like getting dropped in the middle of West Texas with no map, no phone, no compass. There's no way you're finding your way back to Austin. Right? Paul says definitively in Romans chapter 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Family, this is the unbelievable grace of God. Not that just that he would come after us in the first place, but that he would do it so 
patiently. That leads to the second way we see this play out. The first is that God made the first move. The second is that he draws Adam in with a question. Look at verse 9. He says, where are you? Where are you? Now, let me ask you, do you think God knew exactly where Adam was? Of course he did. Of course he knew where Adam was. This question was not for God's benefit. It was for Adam's benefit. And this question is actually the first question that God asks in all of Scripture. Right? So anytime we see something happen for the first time in Scripture, we got to perk our ears up because that's important. And if we look at the original word here, I want you to stick with me. This is a little, little Hebrew lesson, but I promise it's going to pay off. This Hebrew word is the word ayeka. I might be mispronouncing that. It's okay. This word, if we understand the question that is being asked, then we can understand the heart of the one who is asking it. This is why we, we dive deep into God's word. If we can understand what he's saying, what he's asking, we can understand his heart better. And so this question, ayeka, it might just be one word, but it has multiple meanings. So you can use this word, this question, ayeka, to kind of discern somebody's physical location. Right? You can actually even use it to, to talk about a, a space in time. You can even talk about uh, maybe where somebody's at in the process of something. Right? So like, where are you at in, in, with that project? But what I believe God is using this for is, is maybe a better example, I think, is this question, Ayeka, is something that you might use with a, with a spouse or a close friend. When you're deep in conversation, you could tell their mind has started to wander. And you ask them, hey, where are you? Right, come, come back. This question, it is a bridge back to intimacy. It's a bridge back to engagement. This is how God is asking Adam this question. It's not some harsh tone of like, where are you? you know? <laughs> That's how we read it, but it's not. This is him calling out to Adam, beckoning him to draw him close. But despite the gentleness and the grace that is in that call, all Adam hears is shame. All he hears is shame. He says in verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. So this sound, the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden, the sound that was familiar to Adam, the sound that probably once brought him comfort and joy, now brought with it fear. That's the power of shame. We talked about this last week. Shame doesn't just separate us from God. It sustains that separation. One of the biggest ways it does this is by instilling fear within us. It leads us to ignoring his grace and focusing only on his justice. So when we do sin, all we think about is the ways we're going to be punished. And we just completely forget that God is both gracious and just. We tend to forget that. But we got to remember, family, God is both gracious and just. And we see a perfect picture of that right here, right? And God's response as his patient pursuit, family, it gives way to a compassionate confrontation. That's point number three for you taking notes. God confronts compassionately. God confronts compassionately. And he does this by asking a question, well, actually two questions, right? He says, who told you that you were naked? And then he asks, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, we already know that God knows the answers to these questions, so let's just cut to the chase of why he would ask them in the first place. First reason is he wants to give Adam a chance to come clean. He wants to give Adam the chance to come clean. He doesn't want to come with this harsh accusation. He says, Adam, you tell me what you did. God's not after an admission of guilt here. He's after a confession of sin, family. Let me tell you, there's an important difference between the two. 
Because to admit you're, you're guilty of something is simply just to face the facts. But to confess your sin is to take that first step in turning from it. Right? This is the difference when, when you catch your kid doing something and, and maybe you have to have him apologize like to, to his mom and he goes, I'm sorry. You know, he feels like he has to do it. Versus when you see your son and he knows what he's done and he's, he's, he's feeling the weight of that conviction. And he goes and he apologizes with a, with a sincere desire to change. I mean, that's what God is after. He's after that kind of change. The reality is, though, that, that kind of confession never really happens as a result of accusation, does it? Not with parents and children, certainly not with us and God, which is why God confronts us compassionately. Right? That's why his response is this to Adam, right? And we see in his response to sin and shame, we see this compassionate conviction. Right? This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's to convict our hearts, not to accuse us. And listen, I know we've kind of doing some repeat here, but I think it's important to state this again, that God can and he will use the guilt of your sin to convict you, but he will never use shame to condemn you. It's hard for us to draw that distinction sometimes, but we need to draw that distinction, that God will never use shame to condemn you. It's so important to draw that distinction because the reality is, family, that the voice of shame it's ringing so loudly in our ears. I think this is why God asked this next question of Adam. He says, who told you? Who told you, Adam? It's like God saying, listen, I know that you're not listening to my voice. I never told you that. So you must be listening to the voice of the enemy who's telling you who you could be. We're listening to the voice of shame who's telling you who you should be instead of listening to me who has already told you exactly who I have designed you to be. He says, don't listen to them, Adam. Listen to me. He's telling Adam, I am the most important voice in your life. I'm the one who, who breathed life into your lungs. I'm the one who spoke life over you. And I'm the one who's coming after you despite your sin, despite your shame to restore you. It leads me to my fourth and final point this morning. God dwells intentionally. He pursues passionately and he confronts, or sorry, he pursues patiently and he confronts compassionately. Because family, his ultimate purpose is to restore us completely. God restores completely. That's what's motivating this pursuit. It's the restoration of our relationship. It's the restoration of our joy. It's the restoration of our purpose. That's what God's after. And the good news is, family, all we have to do is turn to him to receive it. See, here's the thing I want you to pay attention to this morning. If your mind's been wandering, I want you to lock back in here. I believe as Christians, we have a tendency to overemphasize our pursuit of God. We overemphasize the, overemphasize the role that we play in our faith. We overemphasize our pursuit. And what we do when we do that is we neglect the fact that God is the one that's pursuing us. I think this is why so many of us, we find ourselves feeling exhausted, anxious, unhappy, feeling guilty, feeling even ashamed. Do you think that's what God wants for you? Do you think that's what God has for you? Family, it's not because we're not doing enough. It's because some of us have forgotten who God is. We've ignored his pursuit and instead we have strived to achieve for ourselves the restoration that he is promising and willing to freely give us. 
got to be honest with some of you. I see some of you just, just grinding, trying to grind out your faith. If I just show up to that one more thing, if I just do this one thing, if I just, just, just do this with my kids, I'm not trying to shortchange the importance of, of following the commands of Jesus. But I just want to point you to the simple fact that some of you are chasing after the very same thing that God's just standing there waiting to readily give you. Man, it's like God's waiting there. It's like he's literally waiting there with his hands open. He's got all the strength, all the peace, all the rest, all those things that you need, and you're just over here grinding your life away. All he says is, turn to me. I may be preaching to myself here, but if that resonates with you, I just want to read these words to you. Paint a, paint a picture for you of what God's pursuit looks like. I'm going to read these words of Psalm 23, and I'm just going to read them slowly. I know you've heard these words before, but I want you to hear them again in light of what we've just discussed. Pay attention as I read this to who is doing the work. Pay attention to who's doing the work and pay attention to where this is all leading. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He is the one that leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And there's that word again. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, family, God has always been and will always be coming in pursuit of you. So you can keep struggling. You can keep grinding away all you want. Or you can let God carry you to where you need to go. Listen, I don't know about you, but in this season of my life, it sure sounds nice to be carried. It sure sounds nice to grind less and to rest more. Family, this kind of freedom isn't just promised to you for the future. It's available to you right now. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, all you who are anxious, all you who are unhappy, come to me. All you who have been buried under the weight of your religion, under the weight of shame, come to me and I will give you rest. Family, that freedom is available to you today. So as I invite the band back up, I want to just close by asking you one simple question. Where are you? Where are you? It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to actually think about how you'd answer this question. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? See, I think the challenge for so many of us when it comes to our journey of faith is that we can't get to where we're going because we honestly have no idea where we're even at right now. So where are you? If there was an app for that, what would it say? Family, this question is so important because it helps us understand not just where we're at right now, but, but how we even got here in the first place. And for some of you, this question can reveal to you the fact that you are lost and that you need to be found. 
So I actually want to just take a moment right here. I don't know if you need to close your eyes. I don't know if you need to go to the back of the room. Do whatever you need to do to let this question get past that first line of defense. That's just telling you, oh, it's just a pastor saying something. This is a conversation. Ask that question. Because your heavenly father is asking. It's not just me. God wants to know, child, where are you? Where are you in your life today? Where are you at in your faith journey? Where are you at in your prayer life? Where are you at in your relationships? In your marriage? In your parenting? Where are you at in your regrets? Where are you in your fears? Your failures? Your disappointment? Where are you? Try to ask ourselves this question, family, because I think the fact is, some of you are still hiding. In fact, I think some of you have been hiding for so long that you don't even realize you're hiding anymore. It's kind of just become your new reality. This can happen. Pastor John shared with me a news article this week that blew my mind, but I saw this so clearly in this news article that he shared with me. It talked about a number of instances where these Japanese soldiers after World War II years, even decades after, would come out of hiding, having no idea that the war had ended. Isn't that crazy? At some point during the war, for some reason, whether it was fear, whether it was shame, they decided to go and hide, and they just stayed there. And I know it sounds crazy, but this article referenced several times, maybe even dozens of times where this happened, including the last occurrence, which was in 2005, six decades after the war. These two Japanese soldiers, Yoshia Yamakawa, Suzuki Nakauchi, they come out of hiding, emerging out of this jungle in the Philippines in their mid-80s. And listen, I know I've got questions about this. You probably do, but the point is this. These men literally wasted their lives living in hiding. And the hard truth that some of you need to hear today is that if you keep hiding from God, shame will have the same effect on you. So don't waste your life living in hiding. God's coming after you. He is pursuing you. He is calling out to you. And friends, you can come out of hiding today because Jesus has already won the war. We have freedom that's found in his victory. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he's seated now at the right hand of God. That victory, that freedom, family, it can be yours today in Christ Jesus. All you need to do is turn to him. That's it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you a chance to turn to Jesus this morning. I want to give you a chance to acknowledge that you may not be where you think you need to be. You may not be where you want to be. You may not be where you feel like you should be. Well, the good news is, God knows exactly where you're at. This morning, you found yourself in his presence, and he is calling out to you, where are you, my child? Some of you, this response time is just a time to turn back to him. 
saying, Lord, I know I've wandered. I'm ready to turn back to you, to surrender to you, to continue following you. Others of you, you might be saying for the first time, I'm ready to, I'm ready to give it all away. I'm ready to surrender everything. I'm ready to turn my life around to receive your grace. And I believe there may be somebody here who needs to go public with their faith this morning. Good news is the water's already warm, family. Maybe you need to make that public proclamation of your faith. That you may not be where you want to be, you may not be where you thought you would be, where you think you should be, but you're ready to let Jesus pick you up and carry you to where you need to be. If that's you, I want to just invite you just to raise your hand right where you're at this morning. If you feel like you need to make a profession of faith, whether that's through the act of baptism, whether that's just being prayed over, I would love to pray over you this morning. Go ahead and just lift your hand wherever you're at. Praise God. Family, I want to invite you. I'm going to pray here in a minute. If you raised your hand or even if you didn't, you just feel like you need some prayer, I invite you to head to the back of the auditorium. We've got our a uh, couple of pastors back there, our prayer team back there. We'd love to pray over you. But if I could ask you now to, to stand to your feet as we close this message with a word of prayer and enter back into our worship. Father, we thank you again for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that all we have to do is turn to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, who are being awakened to, to where they are at. Would they not be comfortable where they're at? Would they turn to you? And would they rely on you to be the one that takes them where they need to be? We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.